Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's up, automotive world? This is the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping. I will be your host today. Today on the show, I have Matt Fonslow joining me again. He's been on the show a couple times before, and I always have great conversations with Matt. This is no exception. What we're going to be talking about today is ASE testing, and there's a lot that goes into it. Um, I actually I learned a lot from this conversation, some things that I didn't know about ASE testing. Uh, Matt's has been and is heavily involved with the process for developing these tests. And if you're not familiar, this is the certification for our field. You know, they've got certification tests for specific areas of the vehicle um, that range everywhere from hybrid, diesel, um, school bus, you know, to the everyday everyday passenger car um, and the different areas of certification there, but it is the standard for our industry. Now, of course, there's a lot of uh, negative viewpoints out there surrounding ASE tests and what the certification actually means to you as a technician, to the shop, and to the motoring public. But that's a lot about what our discussion is going to cover today is what does this ASE test or certification really mean and why is it important to us you know, as technicians and our field? Uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Again, a really good conversation. So I'm excited to get right into it. Let's jump in. They're recording here. Just and, an opinionated uh, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how's it going, Matt? How are you doing today? Good. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing. I'm doing good. Um, so you gave me a recommendation the other day to listen to an episode of the Joe Rogan podcast with uh, Tristan uh, Harris. And it was on, you know, social media and technology and our phones and kind of uh, links with the uh, social dilemma on Netflix, uh, which everybody should watch, especially people with kids. But holy crap, that stuff's scary. <laughs> you're, you're, we're all being monitored. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying everything they did was, you know, nefarious in nature, but it's ended up being very nefarious. Um yeah, like I mean, anything. You see, you see how you know the, the the initial goal there is advertising and sales, and the uh, the comment that was made somewhere in there. I don't remember if it was in the the podcast or the the Netflix thing, but if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Are the product. <laughs> I was like, oh damn! You, you need to remember that that, and it, it, we see this in a lot of stuff, right? Uh, you, you see this in um, prejudice, you know, our tribalism kind of run amok, but that's why we're here. Tribalism partly is why humans are at the top of the food chain and dominating the planet. Same with our uh, reward systems, you know, with uh, endorphins or um, it, it, any kind of a chemical reward in our brains uh, for doing something. Well, okay. There's addiction, obesity, blah, blah, blah. Well, okay. That's, 
certain things run amok. Well, now social media and quote unquote, big time, quote unquote, the internet, um, algorithms written, uh, whether uh, very, very specific or in more of an artificial intelligence type or deep, deep learning type of a situation where it keeps kind of almost rewriting its own code to better accomplish the goal. Those goals are what marketing or the products they're trying, you know, Facebook's free. Doesn't cost anything. Well, somebody's paying for it. And how do they get their return on investment? Well, they're buying your attention. So the algor algorithms are written to get your attention. They work really, really, really good. And it's run amok. And you could, I, I really like Tristan Harris's idea of the way the, mo the money is flowing. If we can kind of change it so the money flows differently and rewards everyone for helping you become better, uh, a better person, more more knowledgeable, more, um, what's a better word for like open. Um, yeah. The opposite of forming your own echo chamber, but reward everybody for improving themselves and their lifestyles. So, so uh, Tristan Harris, not to give away a whole bunch of points of this talks about, uh, teenage girls will be on YouTube watching, uh, diet videos and the algorithms know that to keep your attention is not to keep uh, posting or linking uh, recommended videos of more diet videos. It's uh, videos on anorexia. That's what's going to keep their attention. That's not necessarily going to help them. That's not, not going to necessarily help them be, you know, eat more healthy or, you know, if their goal is to lose weight healthily and for good reason. Okay. So then logic would say a better, a, a better, um, recommended video would be something with healthy diet uh, choices or exercise or whatever, determining if you really even need to lose weight and something to help build people up. You know, they can tell if you're depressed. Okay. The recommended videos are to build you up, but the money doesn't flow that way. So why would right. anybody do it? Yeah. And the, the the actual algorithm isn't you know nefarious in in the next video it's showing you it, it it is just what you said how do we keep their attention based on everything they've clicked on and everything they've watched and how long you stayed in a certain post or whatever what's gonna engage them in that similar manner and it is yeah it's just our our nature that keeps drawing us towards uh, a lot of negative things and polarizing us. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy. Just, uh, I mean, see what you see in everyday life and the people, you know, and social media and then to watch that. And it's like, wow, that's exactly what's happening here. Um, the, the comments about the, I mean, the people in that social dilemma, uh, documentary, you know, saying that they don't let their kids use social media, but then the, you know, the CEOs and the owners of these companies, for Twitter and Facebook and whatever, they don't let their kids use social media. That's, that's such a big, like, yep. holy cow. <laughs> well, and the one dude, I think, I think he was a big shot with Pinterest and a big shot with Twitter. But he himself said he knew what was going on. He knew not, maybe not intimately exactly what the algorithm was, but he knew the purpose and yet he'd go home and he was just as much a slave to it as anybody else. And he knew about it. 
and he couldn't put the phone down, couldn't put the tablet down. He was drawn, sucked in. Yep. That's, I mean, that should just scare people a little bit. You know, I'm not saying get away from social media altogether because, I mean, honestly, Facebook, uh, YouTube, they've brought a lot of really, really great things to me. In, in many of these groups, meeting people or being in groups where learning stuff, learning all these different perspectives, like that's that's huge. How else would you do that other than regular networking, attending different training? Well, here I can do it, you know, at a break or after work. And I mean, that's how do you put a value on that? It's so important. But you know, you've we kind of watch some groups start to form their own echo chambers where they get rid of the people that don't necessarily fall in line, and that, that that's scary to me. Watching that happen, that's that's exactly why I think it's such a difficult challenge to overcome because there is so much good to it. There is so much potential, and yeah, Facebook groups and the people I've met through it um, have changed my career in, in an incredibly positive direction, and stuff that I just wouldn't have known or people I would have never met it just events that I wouldn't have known about if it wasn't for, you know, some of the groups that I've been in, um, that that's humongous for me. And that's really why I go on social media right now is for automotive groups. And uh, it's, I kind of ignore the rest of it, but even still I'm on there and I find myself, I'll get sucked into something or I'll read something and I'm just spending you know, wasting my time or getting, getting pulled into something. It's, it's so inevitable. So how do you, how do you get the good out of it without, without the bad? It's very, very difficult. And that would happen years ago anyways, with um, IATN, you know, a lot of guys, I remember specifically chat, IATN chat would talk about how they had to like, um, they only got a few, you know, maybe an hour after work, their wife would let them spend about an hour on there and then they'd get off, eat dinner, do whatever, go to bed then wake up and then get back on. And you'd be up there up on chat until the wee hours. And uh, you know, it's yeah, it's careful how we use the word addictive. I mean, and it, it was, but it was a lot of um, just that uh, interacting and um. <clears throat> like-minded people in that they wanted to strive for being the best and understanding, but they didn't always agree. And there's a lot of very good heated, but good civil discourse occurring about this, that, and the other. And you had some really, really smart people in there. I mean, good gracious. Oh man. Smart people. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're not kidding. Um, reading some of those posts from, I mean, a couple decades ago, it's, it's, yeah. it's incredible uh, to see some of the knowledge that was shared. Now, uh, I don't, I'm sure you've seen the the updates to ITN and I don't know where they're yeah. going in the future is kind of a bummer to see how they've, uh, how they've changed that significantly from what it used to be. It almost looks like uh, they're trying to go for a, you know, a social media style website instead of the traditional ITN setup. Yeah. I mean, I think they could have just kept I kept the look certain looks of IETN that were very IETN ish. You know, the uh 
the way the threads worked in the forums with the you know thread drift whatever that that had a certain look and it kind of it kind of made sense it wasn't necessarily you know easy on the eyes or pretty but it made sense you could see uh, a lot of activity and then um make certain things easier to accomplish through the website because it was very archaic i'm guessing they had to change it just because of what it was written in and yeah. that's a guess i'm totally guessing uh, but may, not unlike pico 7 you know 6 kind of hit the end of its run in that this is what it was written in this this you know i don't remember if it's oh man i shouldn't even say because you know if it's c plus plus and all it's going to c sharp or something like that <laughs> don't quote me on those because I, 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 I could be way wrong of the actuality of those programs but this is the environment they're written in and it's no longer going to be supported therefore they have to change so they do and then i'm guessing ietn was under a somewhat similar situation and again complete guess nobody said nothing to me about this uh, i'm trying to find a, a somewhat reasonable reason that they did um the stuff that annoys me they've been doing for a while is um if you weren't a member anymore uh you were just an anonymous contributor or anonymous anonymous member or something i've something anonymous that okay well there's a lot of people there that made some great contributions okay gray their name out but they wrote that they contributed their name needs to be on that that is utter that's unforgivable yeah that, you know sean chipping made this post five years ago and it's great it's great but for whatever reason you're not a member anymore good i mean couldn't afford it anymore i don't know it doesn't matter or you're mad you're out yeah you still made that post that was still people are using it learning from it your intellectual um property, property maybe yeah. yeah and why what you, you they can't take your name off of that are you kidding me yeah that's, that's, that's so pathetic yeah i don't know i i think they're i think they're facing the backlash at the moment so we'll see what happens and maybe, maybe they'll backpedal a little bit oh, and change yeah, things up lose. Yeah. <laughs> you you get hit in the wallet and uh make some different decisions that's for sure <laughs> yeah well yeah, it's hey a, it's a battle they lose um Wanted to bring you on here today so that we could talk about uh, ASE, um, Automotive Service Excellence. Um, they uh, obviously do the testing. Uh, they're involved with college program accreditation. Um, yeah, and, and just want to talk with you about ASE, some of the benefits, uh, maybe some of the perceived negative views of ASE tests and ASE certification within our field. Um, where do you want to start with this? <laughs> this is a big topic and a lot yeah. of people have a lot of opinions on it. Yeah. And they have very strong opinions about it. Um, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about ASE. I would not say I was always that. Uh, actually, I wouldn't just say it. I will say it. I was not. I don't think I got my first certification until, oh man, 2004, 2005 is when okay. I finally took an exam. And I had, I would say I'd been in the trade 
full-time let's just say man i don't know 98 99 you know it was kind of when i was really out of school and working and i would say contributing now when um, you went to trade school was that program accredited by ASE? Yes, nastuff yep at the okay. time nastuff i think yeah. now they it's the uh ASE education uh, foundation it, yep yeah, they just switched that a few years ago, but okay. So I was just curious. Yep, definitely NAS stuff. Um, and you weren't you weren't able to take the exams while you were going to school. Um, you maybe shortly after, if you were in the trade for a couple of years, you needed to have the experience. And uh, you know, it was taught to that, and it was kind of assumed you were going to go do that. And then, of course my first job, like what, there was no point. Nobody cared. Can you fix the car or not? Can you figure this out or not? Um, you can go get them. I'm not going to pay you to go get them. I'm not going to pay for the exams. And if you get them, I'm not giving you a pay raise. So why would you do it? And I would say I was looking at ASC like, Hey man, you know, where's I'm watching NASCAR. I'm watching Indy. I'm watching what, you know, an HRA. Where's the ASC freaking ads? Where's where's the commercials saying, hey, seek ASC certified technicians? You know, what what are you guys doing? And uh, very upset about it. Uh, and then uh, a friend of mine, uh, Ryan Coyman, kind of straightened me out. It's kind of like, that. that's not their job. That's your job. Your job is to go out there and uh, teach people to seek ASC certified technicians or blue seal shops or whatever they they do their job. And then I got invited to a workshop and uh, kind of got to see some of the inner workings and my respect, you know, skyrocketed. And, you know, I would say, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully some lights went on and in my head that, yeah, I've been dropping the ball. They're a, a test administrator. And, you know, at the time, right. There was no, um, uh, computer-based testing. There's no CBT. It was handwritten or written exams or Scantron or whatever you want to call it. Yep. So you went to a, usually it was a college or library and you took the exam and then you waited a week or two to get your results. And Oh man, I remember when I first did them, it was like a month or more before you got the test results and you're just yeah. sitting there like, uh, did I pass? I don't know how yep. I did. <laughs> how bad did I do? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes. Now they just, they just th shoot them through and you get the result as soon as you walk out of the place. That's quite the difference. It is right. And that still stressed out. How badly did I fail F or A4? You know, <laughs> it's like, or A3, really A3. Uh, that, manual transmissions. Yeah, no kidding. I that is my that is my toughest one. Honestly, yep. that was the last Same time here. I researched that was the worst score that I got was on yep. the manual transmit transmission and clutches because I don't ever take manual transmissions apart to rebuild them. I've never done that since school. No. So <laughs> I yeah, I have no idea how to set up a rear end. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, I think there's a paint marker involved. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. I just, it's not something I do or care about. Uh, and I think the only reason I passed those exams and uh, is the electrical questions bail my ass out. That's exactly what. Yeah. They have and, those in every single test that I've taken. Now there is yeah. some electrical question. Yeah. And that's just the reality. And that's mainly where a lot of the struggles occur. So, you know, I'm 180 
degrees different than my coworkers and uh, my employer. When he goes and takes exams, he struggles with the electrical stuff. My coworkers struggle with the electrical stuff. And I'm, I pray for the electrical question so I can get one right. Um, and, uh, str- you know, dread and struggle on some of the more, you know, I guess, mechanical, the gears, whatever it's differentials are on A2, the automatic transmissions, you know, some of those freak me out with the, uh, inner workings of clutches and stuff. Like, I think I kind of have a rough idea of how they work, but wow. I I don't care. Is it in the transmission? And does anything electrical have anything to do with it? Yes or no? Yes. Right. Okay. Chase the electrical issue. No. New trans. See ya. <laughs> We're not tearing anything apart. Are you kidding me? Right. And so that, that was that's actually kind of a, a point that I wanted to bring up. So uh, you know, you're saying you, you you pass the A3, you get that manual transit transaxle rear end certification. And if you were just look at it from a test, okay, this guy's an expert in this area. He passed the certification test. And f- another example that for me is I went and the first time they they rolled out the L3, which is advanced electric and hybrid test. Um, I, I went and I took it. I was like, well, we'll just see what happened. And it happened to be a lot of electrical questions. And I think that's why I was able to pass it. But I don't work on hybrids and electric vehicles very often, especially at the time that I took it. I had maybe only worked on a handful and I did a bunch of studying and I'm good at taking tests, especially if they're multiple choice. I am, I'm just a good test taker. Some people aren't. But when I got it, I kind of felt weird about it because I've got the certification that says advanced level hybrid electric specialist, but I don't really feel like I am. And so that's one side of the test that I've always kind of felt strange about is I want that certification. I want, you know, the patch or, or whatever it comes with it. And I don't know that I always feel like I am at that level. Um, I think one thing I would do is change some of the verbiage a little bit. Okay. Name, namely, namely a one through a nine. Okay. So uh, engine mechanical, automatic transmissions, manual transmissions, brakes, um, is it air conditioning, HVAC? Yep. Um, electrical, um, forget one, engine performance, but I think I skipped one. I think I, A5, oh, steering and suspension is A5, A6 is electrical, A7 is uh, HVAC, and then uh, A8 is engine performance, and A9 is light duty diesel. When you pass those exams, they're not they're not handing you the certificate saying, "Oh, you're an expert." It's those specifically those you have met the minimum standard as set by industry, not by ASE. ASE doesn't have a bunch of people, you know, they don't have a big meeting once a year, bring in everybody, secretaries and the tested um, managers and all that, and the president or whatever, you know, the head of I think it's the president. And sit down and say, hey, you know, what should we make the pass rate this year? They don't do that. Um, every few years, they bring in representatives of the trade from manufacturers, the dealers, trainers, either from the man, uh, always specific like trainers, uh, like Raytheon might have a representative there, something of that nature, independent techs, independent shop owners, managers. They bring in a lot of people and they sit and come up with, I think they call it the cut score. What's the cut score? 
and there's a debate and then there's a vote like uh, um you know you have a piece of paper essentially and you write in what you think it is and you hand it in and then maybe they'll give the result well they'll give you the results and then maybe you'll argue a little bit and going in you think like oh we got to raise the bar we got to keep raising the bar well it kind of gets into that discussion with even doctors by raising the bar for doctors to get their uh, credential their license are you really helping because do you need the best of the best of the best doctor in family practice to figure out you have an ear infection Probably and not. should this person be denied that license because they're not the best of the best of the best because the best of the best of the best usually end up specializing. So now you're kind of doing a disservice. So the, the arguing about where that cut score goes, I mean, it. I'm much more sympathetic to it than I ever was. Cause I was always like, Oh, we got to give, we got to make sure these mean something. When you pass this, you know, your crap. No, this is the minimum standard. I'm basically saying that you have this credential you are at least basically capable, trainable to become, you know, quote unquote good. It's not like you get the patch and all of a sudden like, hey, you know what? I'm uh, one of the best. You, you probably are just because you've met this minimum standard. I have, I have a theory that if we ever, maybe it's really a pi- hypothesis if we're going to be technical. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, have this, I have this idea that. If tomorrow we decide January 1st, if you are going to service a vehicle professionally, you must be ASE certified in the area that you're going to be servicing. So if you are going to be, you know, working on transmission services, maintenance or otherwise, you have to have A2 and or A3. Otherwise, you can't do it. Now, you know, I don't know, the guys dressed in black are coming in and taking you down. I don't know. But it's unlawful now. If we did that, we would break the industry. We would break it. Because not as many people pass the exams as we think they do. And, we, you know, most conversations involve people going like, oh, yeah, I know all these master techs. They couldn't fix a sandwich. Well, no kidding you remember those, because why would you remember the guy who did figure it out who is ASE certified? That's going to be the topic of conversation. Meet up with your buddies like, oh, my God, I met this guy. He's ASE certified and he figured it out. That's crazy. That's just (laughs) not how the conversation goes. It's usually like, man, he's got more patches on his arms than a Boy Scout. And he couldn't figure out this broken wire. I found it in five minutes. That's how the conversation goes. That's what ASE doesn't mean nothing. That's that's what you hear a lot of from a lot yeah. of people is yeah that it is you know just a piece of paper it's just a test what, what's the what's the point that you know it doesn't make you a better technician and right. I've I've heard that argument quite a bit um, you know going back to what you're saying though with a requirement for certification of some sort I I have always found it's interesting um, at least here in Minnesota uh, for instance you know when we went to tech school uh, we we would go up to lunch and we'd eat lunch with all the girls that came down from cosmetology and, and we were talking with them. They have to get licensed by the state to cut hair. Now, nothing against cutting hair. Cause oh. I, I tried doing my own while it was while in the shutdown and it went terribly. I'm happy to pay someone who is skilled there. But the thing is, is they are required to get licensed by the state in order to do that. You can go 
any Joe Schmo off the street can go work on somebody's brakes, tires, uh, airbag systems. I mean, something that literally could kill someone or um, you know, multiple people. I've always found that that was strange that there isn't anything in place. And maybe there is in yeah. other states, but at least here in Minnesota, there's not. Yeah. That was the point of ASE was to avoid government involvement because – you know, there is the repercussion of driving prices up. People already complain about prices now. And really, our prices are going up because our cost of doing business is going up because, you know, I would I would argue for the most part, we're still undercompensating the vast majority of technicians out there. For the most part, especially for the skill set required and especially if they're doing certain tasks within uh, the trade, the profession that compared to other trades, we're, we're not there yet. I think we're on a really good arc. I think, I think we're on the way, you know, nice if it would happen before I would retire, uh, which right now I think will coincide with my funeral, but <laughs> <laughs> they, they just, the prices are going up because of that, uh, technology, the technology and stuff required to service a vehicle is driving prices up. And then if we add, a uh, licensing system, you know, which would probably have to reflect. And I, I don't think Scott Brown has been uh, pushing this fairly hard with diagnostic network. Uh, he's, he's a president of uh, diagnostic network that we'd have to follow maybe FAA type things with there's some practical hands-on portion. You have to demonstrate some sort of level of competency to get this license. You know, if you're going to be servicing brakes, here's a disc brake system. I don't know if we'd do drums or anything, but you know, here's here's a disc brake system. I need you to do this. Point point to this, whatever that may be. All right, here you go. Not even saying it would be so terribly hard, but you need to demonstrate some level of practical knowledge there, hands on. And um, you know, it would rule people out. Uh, I we had a guy. He said he worked. He worked for us for a couple months swore that he had a background at a tire store and we had him doing front brakes on a i think a chevy pickup where the rotors have a uh, torx screw holding it on you have to take that you know take it loose to get the rotor off he destroyed the screw because he was using the wrong type of torx bit instead of the uh six point he had a five point like so he had to go dig to find the five point set and you know it's just so ridiculous or the size of wrench for the type of or size of ratchet really for the task he's trying to do you know it's almost like trying to torque lug nuts with a quarter inch ratchet like that's not i'm not blowing things out of proportion that's what he is doing <laughs> so th that would that would filter some people out right and not saying he's got no future he's just got to be retrained somehow yeah um that so there, there's the repercussion of driving prices up more and going with the uh, the cosmetology and the uh, hairstylists and all that i think in minnesota they minnesota or wisconsin maybe both they were talking about kind of doing away with that oh really Do, yeah doing away with that licensing okay. opening it up more so more people could be become professionals and they fought it hard. The cosmetologist fought it hard because, hey, that's what differentiates me from Joe Blow. <laughs> we don't have that unless, unless the trade, the profession, 
at every level, but especially the higher levels, the shop owners and managers, be it independent or dealer, they embrace ASE and start demanding it. Like, no, you can't work here if you can't, if you're not going to take the test. You're, you can't work here if you're not going to be uh, certified. You can't work on these breaks if you can't, if you don't have your, you know, A3 or A4, sorry, A4. You can't do it. I, I can't use you. But we don't do that. And it's going to be even harder to do now because it's so hard to find talent and, and skilled individuals. And then you're going to be sitting there going like, you know, I like you, um, but you can't get this credential. I'm sorry, man. You just can't work here. Yeah. You're you're the only person applying to this position, but you don't have your ASC. <laughs> so I guess we're just not going to have an employee. Yeah. That, that is how it's going right now. Um, the shops are desperate for just somebody to come in and apply. Um, I know when I first went out in the field, uh, it was around uh, 2005, 2006-ish, uh, out of school, it was something that you could show and a lot of places would, uh, you know, they, they'd either offer you more money or they'd want to hire you over someone else. Just they saw that, okay, you did have this certification and... Um, I think yeah, if there was if there was a bigger pool to pull from as far as applicants, people going in the field, maybe maybe then it would be more significant. But um, I've I've always thought of it as you know not necessarily like I was mentioning like I get these certifications and oh here's another one when I when I got out of school I went and I got all my ASEs because I was just fresh out of school you know they taught an ASE program and I got my A through eight and I think the next summer I got my L one and I'm I'm just 20 years old and I I have this master certification and I'm feeling I, I'm not really a master technician. And I, I, yeah. I can tell you, I was not even close. I had years and years to go, but I had the certification. I'm like, I don't feel this way, but I'm going to use it to get me into a, a career, into a job. And it, it did help. It showed the people that I was applying for, the, the person that I was applying to work for, that I have a, a commitment to bettering myself and to at least uh, aspiring to be top of the field, even if it, well, because I definitely wasn't. <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah. and the, the label, what do you do? <clears throat> what are they supposed to call it? I guess. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, and that's not even to stick up for them. I, I don't know what else to call it. Right. And I was, you know, trying to, I'm kind of racking my brain here just you know, you think master, I start thinking like maybe martial arts and do the masters, you know, whatever that would be just a black belt or a certain level of black belt. Are they considered, they're now considered a master. Would they ever say they know everything? And I'm guessing the answer is no, they're just very, you know, fluent. And is, is that, um, you know, a, a good, uh, analogy for the ASE credential. I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of thinking of this on the fly even. Right. Well, what do they say? Better you qualify need it. 10 years or like 10,000 hours, something like that to be, you know, a master at yeah. something. And you can even put that in quotations because there's always more. But um, I've, I've found that to be somewhat true with a lot of things. Um, I I play rec league hockey and I've been playing for about 10 years now and I'm not a master at all. I still suck, but um, I can see 
such a huge progression from when I first strapped on skates from that first time until now there is a, a clear difference, but I've been playing two or three times a week for 10 years just to get to a point where I'm not falling on my ass all the time and I can actually <laughs> catch a pass. Um, it, it's, it's it, for anything, any skill you're going to learn you know, to really be, um, efficient and, and good at that skill. It's, it's going to take time. There's no other way around yeah. it. Um, so I, I think going back to what you were saying, we got to look at these tests a little differently. It's not, yeah. you are the best because you got this certification, but you've put in the effort, the commitment in order. You want to be the best. You want to make, make yourself better. I guess is that that's what it shows me. If somebody gets those certifications. It's yeah. Especially if you do it on your own. And again, it just comes back to like, you, you meet the minimum uh, knowledge level set by industry. And it does say something because, you know, a hundred people take the exams, a hundred people don't pass. In some cases, you'd probably be stunned at how, how many do versus don't. I think having that credential as little as you, as little um, credence as you may give it, not you specifically, but anybody listening, if you earned that credential, as little credence as you may give it, it actually does mean more than you think. You've done something that uh, I won't say like the vast majority haven't. I have a, I have a feeling like if everybody took it, you might be, you might actually be more in the minority, but um, it, it means more than you think. You you've accomplished something. There is something to it. Again, are you now a master? Are you, you know, that advanced level knowledge? No, no. You you meet the minimum standard, uh, and everybody should meet a certain minimum standard, right? Like, what? How's that one saying go or adage? Uh, what do they call the the doctor who graduated averaging a D? I don't know. I haven't Doctor. heard that one. Doctor? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Right. I, D's get degrees. That's what I hear in college. Yeah, and I'm all not the time. I, yeah. <laughs> And that doesn't necessarily even mean they're a good doctor or a bad doctor or anything, right? It's you know, the grades are whatever they are. And I suppose we could get into discussing the uh, discriminating uh, you know, factors and stuff like that. But that's the thing of what ASE is, right? They're a, a test developer and administrator along now with Prometric. And they do that really, really, really well. Like so well that your credential is defensible in court, meaning you end up in court for incompetence. Your credential means something. It has some weight. They've, they've made sure of that. They've worked with, uh, I think it's ACT, the, right? I think it's ACT. I'm not sure. To make sure of that. They that's a very important part of it. And then also they do a very good job of discriminating between a knowledgeable can, test candidate and a less knowledgeable candidate right at that line. That they can stand behind if you pass, you deserve to pass. If you failed, you deserve to fail. And then they tell you what areas that you need work in. And then you can go study up and uh, you know, whatever, if that's an ASE study guide, which ASE does not develop any ASE study guides. They don't, that's all <clears throat> training entities or whoever. 
No, but they don't develop anything like that. They, whatever it takes to go learn more to now pass that. And then already you're better. Uh, you're already better because you went out and sought training, whether that was sitting on the internet, reading some books, interacting with uh, other professionals, uh, going you know, a lot of, I think a lot of trade schools and tech co- programs. Uh, if you graduate from them and you need a refresher, they can go back even at a reduced cost or, you know, pay for a credit to get a, a refresher course. And some maybe even offer night classes once in a while for those specific purposes. And I mean, that's all good. That's, I don't see any bad from that at all. And yet, you know, we kind of crap on ASC about it and it's not them. It's they're doing their job. Do you know what was the, because ASC has been around since the seventies, I think. Uh, what was the original like driving force that created ASC? Like what was the need that was present in order for them to become an entity? If I understand correctly, it was the uh, motoring public had no trust in the uh, capability of auto mechanics that we were screwing everybody. We we're taking advantage of everybody. We're crooks. Which I'm sure and there probably was a lot of. Uh, I, I think mean, so. <laughs> not everybody, but I'm and, sure and, it was present. And it's like nowadays, it's not necessarily, um, I probably got to find a new word, but it's not necessarily nefarious. There's usually no ill intent. Uh, you know, I find myself on Quora a lot, people complaining about mechanics, you know, and they're, they're taking advantage of them. They're, How do you know a mechanic's lying? His lips are moving, blah, blah, you know. <laughs> There's a lot of that. They, people think that way. And I find that that's complete baloney. I just don't think it exists on any level worth concerning ourselves about. I think there's incompetence. And I don't mean incompetence is like buffoonery. Like, <laughs> you guys are a bunch of idiots. I don't mean that so much as you don't know really how it works. And you're not, you don't have the tools, whether physical tools or um, knowledge yet through training or whatever experience to very accurately diagnose or repair it. And stuff goes sideways. You know, we look, we, in the independent world, we learn a lot on the fly. We do. Some people would say that's wrong. Others say it's right. I'm not even, I don't have an opinion. It, It is what it is. It happens. I think that happens far, far, far more no intentions of letting anybody down, no intentions of taking advantage of anybody. I, w- I want to fix your problem. That's why I'm here. And I, I like to help people and I help people by giving them a functioning, safe, economical vehicle or whatever. And I, you fail. And then how are the businesses structured for billing the customer? That's kind of out of the tech's hands a lot of times. Or you're covering yourself, you know, it's like I screwed up, but I don't want anyone to know about it. So I'm going to cover my tail on this. That happens. Yep. Not, not like, oh, I'm going to take these people to school. Oh, they drive a nice car. They probably got a pretty good savings account. We're going to get a piece of that. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Yeah. But okay. So ASE was the um, industry, the entire industry. Again, all levels getting together saying, all right, we got to keep the government out of here because they'll just mess it up. They're not wrong. Yeah. They'll mess it up. 
And so we'll create this voluntary test, this voluntary credentialing system. And um, what was it called originally? Like NIASE or something like that? Yeah, it was, it was something different. I don't remember exactly before my the, time. Well, I think the exams were on stone tablets. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, when I first did my uh, first few rounds of tests, it was all paper and pencil. Uh, and I actually went to the college where I'm teaching now, like you're saying that that's where the testing centers were. Um, but now, now they we'll just let's text message Jim Morton, find out if they're <laughs> stone tablets, how that happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that, that's what, that was the answer was to try to keep the government out of it, keep the, their noses. Uh, the good thing is, is yeah, it, it kept the government though. It probably kept certain costs down. Uh, certain uh, hurdles with the government involvement. The bad part is, is it's a voluntary exam, which if marketed properly by us, the profession, if we market that right, that should mean more than the credentialing that's forced upon you. Like you cannot practice unless you have this. And we're saying, no, 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 we choose to be credentialed to do this because we, we care, you know, our egos. Yeah something our pride we have this pride that could be a very powerful uh, marketing technique but you know of course we don't um and uh the, the bad part is, is where's the teeth come from you know the shop down the street they're not gonna hire an ASC certified text they're not going to for or not force them but or, or force a little bit or urge them to go get um uh, credentialed who's who's showing up in the black helicopters to shut them down <laughs> right nobody right, right. you know he, with, with all the other shops in town gonna go pick it in front of them I, I, <laughs> what happens nothing and so that's the bad part is there's no teeth bob hype would say there's no teeth gotcha. and he's right there who's who's there to enforce um this credentialing program nobody so it's really got to come from the front counter everybody buying into it everybody selling uh, ASE, everybody, you know, putting each other over, you know, and uh, so what do you guys do at your shop for technicians as far as the ASE test? Because it costs money to go take them and to register. And so, for instance, when I was at Firestone, they'd pay for us to take the test. So that was an incentive, but they'd also give us a uh, a bonus on our check for everyone that we passed. And so there again is some pretty big incentive to do it. So at their top level, they decided this is a good thing for us. Well, let's give these guys a carrot uh, to to go for so that they actually go get tested. What do you guys do at your shop? A combination of things. One is, of course, not only do we pay for the exams, we pay for you to go take them. So if you have to leave work or miss work to go take the exam, you're, you're being compensated to do that. Pass or fail. Hopefully you're not in there purposely trying to fail. Right. I just, it doesn't happen. I don't think. And, uh, and then it's a combination of, you know, bonus, uh, base hourly rate and vacation time. Okay. All, you know, a little bit of reward in multiple areas to go get your credentials. And, you know, uh, I got two people. Well, okay. Three technically, but not including me, two people signed up. No, I'm right. Stick with it. Uh, knee jerk. Three people signed up for the ASE uh, app. So they're okay. taking their uh, exams uh, on their phones or 
I think you can do it on phone and tablet or uh, PC now. Okay, tell me and, about that because I, I I saw something on Facebook the other day, but I was completely unaware of this. What what is the the new app thing? The focus is less on discrimination of knowledgeable versus less knowledgeable, and more about main maintenance, maintaining your knowledge, increasing your knowledge. It shouldn't be maintained, increasing. So it's more about learning. Okay, uh, and. <clears throat> uh, you you get i think probably shouldn't even say because i'm not fully uh educated but i'm i'm almost positive to use the app you have to be have to have had been or currently um credentialed it doesn't matter if you're you were ASE certified in 1979 let them lapse until you know 2020 you can now take the app and get your research back so it's only or, for or get your certs back through a research. So it's only for recertification, not for the initial test. I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive. I don't think, I don't think if you've never been certified, I don't think you can just take the app and earn them. I, I don't think so. I think you have to be certified once you have to meet the bar, Uh huh. you know, and I could be really stepping in it with this being wrong, especially with Google right here. I could just freaking find out, but I'm positive. <laughs> I'm fairly certain that you you have to meet that minimum Saturn first, and then you can do the research app and or the renewal app, I think. And that is more about training and learning. So okay. you're asked um, it's quite a few questions uh, throughout the year. Uh, you have to get, I think, I'm pretty sure you get eight right. You get so many questions a month, maybe two. If you get it wrong, it's not the end of the world. They send you other questions. Okay. Uh, they send you sister questions. So the idea is I got asked this question about a fuse. It wouldn't be about a fuse. Whatever. I, I, I got this drivability question I got for A8, and I got it wrong. And it, there's an explanation of why that was wrong and why the right selection was correct okay and it gives you the opportunity to then do a little more research take yeah. a training class online read a book go to service information whatever it is because some of these questions are actually quite specific like almost your make model engine okay this system this code and it's not it's not going to be like, hey, you know, it sets a P0440, which of these could be the cause, and you got to go find the TSB. It's not like that, but it's, <laughs> right. you know, you might have to know, have a little bit of system knowledge, and then you can go get a little bit of training. Uh, and then when the sister question comes, you get that right. Well, then you get the point. And once you get eight points, you've earned your uh, credential, recertification yeah. credential. So I just popped this up into Google while we were talking about this. And yeah, it looks like you sign up for this and then they send you one question within a certification per month. And then you can view it whenever you want. You have to answer it within the allotted time. And then they tell you whether you were correct or not and give you a reasoning behind it. And then, it, yeah, it looks like if you get eight correct then you can research whatever certification that was whether it was a1 or a2 that's really cool um yeah and what they mean by the allotted time is is 
<clears throat> you you open the question and it asks you like are you sure because mm-hmm. when you open the question the timer starts and it's usually a significant amount of time or you know a couple minutes five minutes depending on what it is if it's got a wiring schematic there's going to be a lot more time okay it's just kind of a straight up question you know you got a couple minutes they're not trying to ward you away from looking it up if you're fast enough and you have enough time to be able to go to some resource and find the answer they're not trying to deter you from that because that's still learning sure what does it take to keep you learning more learning more increasing that knowledge level that's what it's all about it's not about hey do i meet the minimum standard anymore no you've already met that now it's can i keep you moving up can i keep you moving up because you have this you know with the regular exams you'd have a phenomenon where you you know, the first time you barely pass, but you pass. And then you start passing and passing with flying colors. And it's usually like you're just passionate about fixing cars or whatever the systems are. You know, maybe you weren't shooting for your master. You're going to focus on whatever areas that you, you know, you're a drivability guy. So you did, you know, A6, A8, and L1. That's what you cared about. That's what you got. <clears throat> and you would destroy them. You'd just, yeah, one wrong, two wrong, whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, 20 years later, <laughs> your scores start dipping. Well, why? Well, at one point you decided you were really good and you didn't need to go to training anymore. And, you know, you're you're on your way out. Sure, you know, you're getting ready for retirement. Maybe it's more like 30 years. I don't know. But for those that are going to retire. And, <laughs> and then um, the, the store scores start dipping. Well, how, how do we uh, fight that? Okay. The, the app, I think, addresses that directly. I think it, it's a really good idea. It probably doesn't get enough good press as it deserves. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm learning about it as we go here, but uh, I've got some research coming up, so I'll have to check that out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so you were saying earlier that the you know the pass fail rate was decided by a large group of people, uh, people from the field and and other individuals. How about the questions themselves? Is that are they constructed by the same people in the same manner? Uh, well, okay, some of the same people may have, most. I would say not most of the time. I would say uh, often enough. People involved in that whatever committee for the cut score. I think I think they call it a cut score committee. I could be full of crap. That's I think that's what they call it. Many times those guys, those people, also have been involved in workshops where they've uh, developed questions, maintained questions. You know, questions age, right? There sure. used to be carburetor questions. There are fuel pressure regulator questions that yeah. stuff we just don't run into anymore. Some of them can be modified. And, you know, kind of freshened up a little bit and kept on the exam. And then some of them just got to go bye-bye. Well, then you got to write something to kind of replace it for that system. So, like, fuel pressure regulators, part of the fuel system. Okay, I better come up with a maybe GDI-type question that addresses the fuel system, right? And uh, fuel delivery. And um, <clears throat> so they'll be involved. Then the question writing really is... Uh, you know, 15, 20, 25 people sitting in a, a room, uh, horseshoe style or big rectangle or square rectangle, everybody sitting on the outside. And, um, yeah, and you start writing questions. And, um, you know, 
you look at every ASE um, exam has a outline essentially that breaks down the test. There's going to be this many questions in this area. There's going to be this many questions in this area. So A2 for automatic transmissions, there's going to be this many questions involving electrical. There's going to be this many questions involving, you know, the torque converter or something of that nature so that you can prepare yourself for the exam. Um, so you, you grab one of those, or you know, not grab one of those, they give them to you and you kind of start writing questions. You just think about my experience in the Bay, my experience of a torque converter. What's a torque converter issue I've run into, you know, and, it's hard, you know, it's not like there's going to be tons of questions on torque converters or torque right. lockup, right? Oh, it shutters. Okay, we've had a few of those. Everybody. But you might write that question. And, you know, the customer complaint is shutters in, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth gear. Which of these could be the cause? And then, you know, you're going to have your answer. You already know what the answer is when you write the question usually, right? Duh. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be worn tranny fluid. That's that's the that's the answer so they'll call that the key that's the answer now the hard part this is the hard part this is where they don't nobody gets enough credit for this you have to come up with three what they call distractors three absolutely wrong answers but believable enough plausible enough to somebody that doesn't know to pull them off of the tranny fluid thing so that you can absolutely say, no, that will not cause it. Here's why. But because you don't know, that was an attractive choice. Like, oh, maybe, yeah, it could be a bad TCM. Oh, okay, maybe that maybe that was a bad example. But right, you know, that's, that, that's where you would sit. And then a lot of times you're asking the group for help. Like, hey, here's the question. Here's the answer. I got two pretty good distractors, I think. I need help on this last one. Like, I don't know. What could cause that, you know? And then maybe you got to add more to the question where maybe there's a code, a DTC is set. So now you can add ignition misfire. And, oh, okay, well, you could, ignition misfire would cause this, you know, surge or whatever. The shutter would cause the shutter. But it once, this code once set because of that. Mm -hmm. So now that becomes a good distractor and people... Maybe read to it through read through it too fast, or are not or less knowledgeable. You go shutter misfire. That's the answer. Next, well, you got it wrong. And so, you know, you got to generate a bunch of these questions, and then those don't even go on the exam right away. They get tested out. You know, you, you go in for a test, like an exam, and there's whatever forty questions, but you actually take fifty. Ten of those are just test questions test they're just trying um, them out beta tested questions you know that you're trying them out how how effective are these questions at meeting this criteria how hard does it um how how difficult is this question Be, and does it do a good job of the the knowledgeable text get it right largely the less knowledgeable test uh, takers don't and of those distractors, the three distractors, are they somewhat reasonably um, evenly distributed? That it isn't really like, oh, it's a 50-50 question, right? It's almost mm -hmm. true-false. These are the two, you know, A and B is where people are struggling. 
It's, you know, B is the right answer. A lot of people get tor- pulled to A, but C and D, nobody takes them because they're so ridiculous. It can't possibly be. That's a bad question. That won't survive. It's going to go back through and try to get modified. Let's strengthen up those other distractors to get pull some people that way too. So there's a so, ton there's, of analysis that oh, goes man. into this. It sounds like you, you, have you been a part of this yourself? Yeah, I think I'm, it's 20 some. Okay. 20 some exams. Okay. And, um, they had, ASE has a, um, psychometrician on staff, which that's their job is basically testing the effectiveness of tests, the study of tests and the effect of effectiveness of the exam and the question breaking down the questions. So. Uh, one time, <laughs> um, a friend of mine, uh, Harvey Chan, we we're in a workshop together, and we we cornered the psychometrician. Like we got him at lunch, and we cornered him. And uh, we're Harvey and I were arguing or discussing, really, why why do test scores of the veteran techs drop? And I was, you know, adamant. It's like, oh, they're falling behind. And Harvey's like, no, no, no. They still pass. I'm, it's because they don't care. And, uh, yeah, we, we got the psychometricians. We asked him the question, and he's like, oh, oh, here's what happens. The uh, veteran, so when you first start taking these exams, you want to get every single question right. Your ego, pride, whatever. You want to make sure you get every question right. One question wrong, you're pissed. Like, hey, which one did I get wrong? Uh, yeah. The question must be broken. <laughs> not true and um as they get older and more savvy if you will they now know the statistics like i only need you know i'm taking this 40 question exam i only need to get 32 right or 30 or whatever the number may be to pass okay well that's just probably 28 i need to get 28 questions right so what they do is they take the questions and they kind of put an asterisk next to the ones they know they got right. Okay. And the ones that they're a little bit, eh, I don't know, they skip. And then they get to the end and they go and they count the asterisks. And if it adds up to 28, 29, 30, 32, they don't answer the other ones or they just scribble whatever. Sure. Take a, they, take hand a shot. The, they don't care. Huh? I passed. Interesting. Yeah. Cause what do they call an ASC tech that, you know, a certified tech that got, um, you know, 28 right instead of uh, 38 right. He's a certified, certified. tech. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that so. makes sense. Never uh, never thought about doing that. <laughs> um, what I've always been impressed by, honestly, on the test questions, like when you go to take the test, that aside from the L-series test where you have a composite vehicle, but I'm talking A1 through 8 or 9, when you take these tests and you're answer, answering these questions, they are done in a way where it's not vehicle specific because there's so many ways where you could read a question and you could say, well, if I'm working on a Honda, it's going to be this, yep. or if I'm working on a Chevy, it's going to be that. And I can, I can say I've never really felt that way answering a question on an actual exam. Now, if I'm reading a study guide, that's a lot different. There's some questions in there. I'm like, well, hang on a second. What are we, what are we talking about? If you're not giving me a specific vehicle, this could go either way, but they do really do a good job of 
making that work. So many, many heated debates have been had over exactly what you're talking about, trying so hard to write the question to not discriminate you based on you're a Toyota tech taking this ASE exam and you're met with this Ford question. Sure. Or maybe the better example was Chrysler. You're a Chrysler tech and now here's this mass airflow sensor question. We don't have any mass airflows or very, 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 very very few. Mm -hmm. So you work really hard not to do that or be, be really tricky with, um, this this map speed density question is really kind of a Honda question, and the Chrysler guys will get it wrong because we're Honda's doing something just a little bit different. Yeah, um, it, I mean, many many battles, many heated heated arguments that representatives sticking up for their you know people, if you will. You know, the, the Toyota representative is there sticking up for his Toyota people, and the GM guy. Or gal sticking up for the GM people, and the indie guys going, oh, you don't, you guys don't even know how your stuff works, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, but many, many times, and I would say generally the best uh, ones is where the representatives have a lot of confidence in their people. That okay. you know what, if we structure this question in certain a certain way, if we would add this line or add this diagram or you know a little bit of something this one sentence i think my my text can get this right because they're not idiots they they'll 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 know they've you know this whatever car this engine had this i think they'll get it right and if they do get it wrong they're going to get all the other ones right anyways Uh, those are the best workshops where it's you know, I'm not saying everybody's sitting around saying kumbaya, but <laughs> generally the big picture is, is seen by all. And, uh, but yeah, there's been many, many heated debates, heated debates about uh, system specifics that are different from platform to platform or car line to car line. And then myths, you know, the myths involved in our auto repair that you get some people in there that they know what's really going on. Uh, and somebody's trying to write a question that's based, basically based in myth and the heated debate. I mean, this has been taught this way for 20 years. Oh, it's been taught wrong for 20 years. And that ruffles feathers. It really, it really ruffles feathers. Um, yeah, it's, but, a, it's a pride thing. Um, I, I think that's something that, you know, if you're not aware of that, and uh, that so much work's being put into this. It's not just a multiple choice test. Um, and there's so much work that goes into the details of it. Uh, it really does make it a much more important thing to shoot for, I think. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I can't, I don't think I can illustrate enough or talk about it enough how difficult it is to sit in there, come up with a question that's fairly generic the answer is easy. Three distractors that are believable, but wrong. Absolutely wrong. Not family feud wrong. Wrong. You know, this, this isn't, you know, the right answer is, you know, hundred people were asked, hundred texts were asked, you know, top five are on the board or top four, sorry, multiple choice, four, 
top four are on the board, the number one answer is the most popular. No, no, no. That is the right answer. It is the only right answer. These other three are 100% wrong. And it's defensible. Like, and that's a way. We can have a conversation. I can tell you why it's not right. And that's a way that you can, because I I sometimes have problems with multiple choice tests. When I do my own tests in class at the college, like I'll write the tech A, tech B style multiple choice, but I won't do any other multiple choice because I want a written answer. I want to see. Now on a big scale like AAC testing, I get why that's not possible. But if you're going to make a multiple choice test, being able to write a question in the way you're talking about where there's there's legitimate distractors that could be the answer, but they have to take other concepts into account. Maybe that aren't necessarily listed out in the question, but that involve what's being asked. For instance, like electrical theory, it may not state things out there, but if you're if you have that knowledge, you've been in the field, you've done this enough, you'll say, okay, well, this can't be the answer because of this piece of information uh, that that I have about electricity. Um, that's that's a really tough question to ask correctly <laughs> and have those have those answers that could be right, but there's a reason they're wrong. That is not an easy thing to come up with. It's brutal. It's really brutal. And um, I'll, you know, ASE. They get a lot of phone calls, very, very upset people. This question's broken. No, it's not. You know, I'm, you know, I'll call you back. And they talk to their subject matter experts and others and figure out who wrote the question. Talk to them. Talk to other experts in the field. Like, hey, what do you think about this? Yeah, that's the only possible answer. These are wrong. These are wrong. These are wrong. And then they call you back and they're like, no, the question's fine. I would urge you to seek out some training, which is now, you know, you've just insulted them. Yeah, God forbid. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I, I used to work with a guy who he wanted to know each individual question and why he got it wrong on the test. And it's, if someone is not taking them, they give you the sections and what you got out of a section. They don't tell you individual questions. You get correct or incorrect. And he wanted to know every single one that he got wrong so that he could do exactly what you're saying is call and complain and say, well, no, when I was doing this job on that car, this is different. And I get why they give out the test results the way they do, because, man, I wouldn't want to sit there and answer all those questions from, you know, pissed, pissed off people that, that have their pride hurt uh, in one way or another. Yep. Well, uh, you got any other main points on this that you wanted to cover? Um, I, I mean, I think if anything, it's how can we urge each other? Be, be it anybody listening or um, our colleagues, our coworkers, our shop owners. You know, I don't, I don't know how popular um, your podcast is with shop owners yet. You know, I think it's kind of one of those that everybody should be listening to, but I don't know if that really happens. Um, that how how do how do we get everybody on the same page that ASE come you know creates the exam and it we expect them to do it the job of discriminating between knowledgeable and less knowledgeable test takers that's what we demand of them and then from a marketing standpoint how do we take that responsibility upon ourselves as individuals 
at the tech level to the service advisor at the front counter, talking with a client, you know, hey, trying to get an estimate over the phone. How much for a front brake job on a blah, 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 blah. Oh, okay. Let me uh, work on that. What's the VIN number? And, you know, while you're waiting, let me tell you why you should be uh, bringing your car here. We have ASC certified technicians and just constantly putting over, not putting over ASC because it's not like clients are going to be like, oh, ASC, let me go to the website. Oh, how can I send them money and make things better for ASC? They would only learn more about seeking ASC credentialed professionals. You know, and now when they're at their whatever activities, family, friends, you know, churches, whatnot, and somebody's complaining about their car, or should I take it? Well, hey, hey, look for an ASC patch, look for an ASC seal, look for here's the website, ASC.com. You can find an ASC um, blue seal shop. How How can we get everybody on the same page of this is what we have? What are we going to do? Just sit around and wait for the government or somebody to step in and say, yep, here we go. Now you're required to have this. Or can we all kind of rally around it and say, okay, it's not perfect. Nothing is, but it's not perfect. It's what we have. They do a good job of doing what we need them to do with them, that minimum standard. And then someday if we want something higher, all right, let's go after them for that. You know, maybe we got different levels. Maybe we borrow from, um, um, other trades with like uh, apprenticeships and journeyman level and master level type stuff that now that's something, but this is what we got right now. Let's rally around that quit running everything into the ground, devaluing freaking everything. We devalue tires. We devalue oil changes. We devalue ASE. We devalue diagnostics. Like <laughs> jeepers. Crime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what team do you play for? <laughs> Just, yeah, shooting ourselves in the foot for sure. Oh, man. And talk about in a race to the bottom and stepping on the gas like unwittingly. What? Ah, do, frustrating. Do we're going to go into like hour number three of me ranting about <laughs> the valuation, demonizing. I, I just thought of this. Do, do they have individual tests for different manufacturers? I thought I remember seeing like a BMW. I, one not all of them. I, I believe there's something going on with um, BMW. Okay. I don't know so much about everybody else. And then if they do, I don't know that ASC is necessarily involved. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't know if that would, I don't know if that would bring anything different to the table. If you could pick and choose a different manufacturer. Um, I know they probably have their own certifications at a dealer level, but for an independent repair shop to get something like that, if that would be beneficial. Yeah, And I think it's mostly going through their training. So it's the testing for their training. And then, okay, yeah, you get your whatever world class or whatever they name that. I don't know that that's so much specifically trumps ASE because, you know, you say you're, you write questions uh, as an instructor. Oh. Well, oftentimes instructors have a really, really hard time writing a question that um, is discriminatory. And I don't mean that like, you know, we think of discrimination a lot of times we go in a really dark place. This is discriminating between you know or you don't know. Mm -hmm. And instructors typically have a rough time with that because they are, they're teachers. They want to teach. So now the questions are structured in such a way to keep on teaching. And I have a suspicion with the uh, 
manufacture specific stuff that they develop themselves, they're not discriminatory. They're further training. They're another means of teaching their techs. They're helping them get it right, which isn't good, bad, or otherwise. It's what it is. But it, I don't think it necessarily trumps ASC. It, ASC still holds a lot of water and should. Mm-hmm. Because it's generic in nature, because they are trying to discriminate between you. Do you know or don't you know? And that that, that means a lot. It, you know, I know it sounds bad because the kind of a hot button word, I guess, but that's that's what's going on. And um, for for good for the betterment of us, I think. And uh, other than that, yeah, I, I, I was thinking of this analogy earlier. <laughs> it's like. I don't know. It could be horrific. Okay. Well, you're talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about like levels Uh and you had passed um, your exams uh, fairly quickly out of school soon after graduation. Yeah. And you, you know, you got the master patch, but you're not really a master. You knew it neither here nor there, but (laughs) have you ever watched, have you ever watched, um, master chef uh i think i've caught maybe an episode or so so it's a a cooking competition right they take a group of home cooks and almost like american idol at first with cooking rather than singing sure and then uh they get their top whatever 20 25 30 10 whatever it is and then you have the three judges and one of them is gordon ramsay like i think he's been there every season I think I've seen his individual show that he did, the Hell's Kitchen, before, where he just yep. yells at everybody constantly. Yeah. <laughs> this this one I think is a different. I think he agreed to do it, um, with the uh, agreement that he w- didn't have to be the bad guy anymore because I think he was tired of it. You know, he's Kitchen Nightmares, Hell's Kitchen. He's the one always yelling, dressing people down, yeah, insults, whatever. So I think he is kind of tired of that. I don't want to be the bad guy. Yeah. And um, so they brought in other people to do that. But there's one episode specifically, and I wish I could remember, I wish I could just rattle off to you the season and the episode number and all that. But there is a, there is a season where he is the, um, you know, they had a, a, a test, you know, cause it's a competition and they got to cook stuff. And so mm-hmm. they had a timed test where they had to make something out of these ingredients and they had one hour and they had a secret um, competitor that they were bringing in special and okay. it was Gordon Ramsay. Oh, okay. He was competing against them. So there's 60 minutes on the clock and it's fish and whatever all these ingredients are. And they have to make a, you know, restaurant quality, like, you know, fine dining restaurant quality meal dish, not meal dish, um, out of these ingredients in an hour. And Gordon when the clock starts, goes up with the other judges and starts visiting with them. And they're like, hey, man, should you get, should you be getting going on this? You know, clock's ticking. He's like, 60 minutes is a long time. So then he goes and he's walking around looking at what everyone else is doing. And then he cooks himself up a glass or a cup of tea. And then he goes off and like he's reading. And they, you know, on the set, they have this almost little library type area or sitting area and he's over there sipping on his tea reading a newspaper or a magazine or something 
And then with under 30 minutes to go, he walks over to his station and, you know, one of the judges joking like, oh, you're going to get started now. And in 20 some minutes, he banged out whatever the, the dish. And I'm sure it was, you know, to die for and all that. It looked great. But watching the guy move like this guy can go. You know, it's like if you have a manager or a shop owner who, you know, you don't really see him doing much on cars, but then, oh man, we, we got to come back or something. And, or it's getting close to the end of the day and we promised this car by the end of the day. And then, you know, he throws on the overalls and yeah, brings the car in. And all of a sudden you're watching him like, man, that guy can go. That's what the difference between that um, uh, Ramsey, the master, the way he moved the thought processes, the, the way he multitasked, how clean he kept everything, just the way the guy worked. There's the master, and then you have all these other master chefs who are the best of the best of the home cooks. I mean, they're not even in it. They're not even in it. But they pass the test to get on the show. It's not unlike an ASC exam. You passed to get into the show, mm-hmm. or, or should be, right? But you're not a master. You know, that comes with time, experience, effort. Yeah. And I maybe a horrific analogy, but no, it's it, it totally makes sense. <laughs> I I always like I always like the TV or movie references. <laughs> um yeah, you gotta you gotta put in the work to get there. And there's always another level. Uh there's always, yeah. you know, there's always something more to shoot for no matter where you get, but um having that that recognition that patch that tests um i think it it does make a difference and so yeah we as techs and shop owners have to do a better job of presenting that encouraging others to do it uh, you know we try to get our students to do it but um making the public aware of it too uh, like we were talking about with you know, social media and stuff, get the money to flow in the right direction, go to the shops that are ASE certified. And that's, that's going to make it better. It really does start at the shop owner level or manager, whoever's got control of the marketing and the paycheck or compensation packages. It it really does. If you want ASE to start carrying some weight, that's where the real strides come in. Ownership, leadership, you know, as a tech, yeah, it would be great. Put yourself over, put over your colleagues that are also credentialed. That's great, but it's only going to go so far. When there's skin in the game that now you can see your leadership marketing you, not only just as your skills and whatnot, that that very deservedly so, but also that credential. You, that that means something to them it should mean something to you mr motoring public or car owner or customer and then also just throughout the trade like all your marketing schemes or angles are involve ase and pr- putting over their credential not so much ase itself but the credential and that 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 patch that um yeah almost that reward, I guess, if you will, that um, you've earned title that um, that's that, I think that's where the big strides would be made is when leadership takes and really embraces it and goes, Oh, you know what? I'm going to get all my 
other shop owners together and all my buddies. And instead of price fixing, which <laughs> never happens, it doesn't. Bad joke. But we're going to get together and, yeah, complain about uh, the trade, but also, hey, we should really start demanding this. You know, I'm going to start demanding it of my guys. You should really start demanding it of your guys. You know, I'm going to pay them to go take them or, you know, so-and-so Sean, he's been certified 15 years ago. He let him lapse. I don't blame him. So not like there's anything in it for him, but you know, now I'm going to get him hooked up with this app. And if he gets recertified master, I'm going to give him a boost or, you know, more time off or some sort of reward, like a, a real yeah. reason to do it. Even if he's just sits, uh, ownership, he or she sits down with you and, you know, Hey Sean, what, what would it, what would be a good reward? What would be a good pat on the back? More money? more time off like hey man I, I really like fishing or you know what i have ice hockey mm-hmm. friday night it'd be nice to get out of here an hour early <laughs> you know yeah, so yeah. i could go yeah, everybody's got a racing chair. down to the rink and <laughs> yeah uh, do you know lucas underwood i know who he is i don't know if i've if i've met him it's really just in passing okay so he and another guy uh david roman they actually host a shop owners podcast asog podcast yep. Um, I think you should definitely get connected with them because that is that podcast is specifically, you know, made for people who own and manage shops. So that would be you, you a, can a hook great me up place. Cause... Yeah, I'll send you the contact info, and that's exactly what you're talking about is getting in the ears of those people uh, so they can start promoting it more and and integrated it into their shops. I think that would be, I think that'd be a really great thing. Okay. One more big thank you to Matt for coming on the show. Once again, uh, that was a great conversation, very educational. I know I learned a few things. Hopefully you did as well. Uh, I'm going to include the link to ASE in the website. I mean, it's pretty easy to find, but I will include that in the show notes in case you'd like to go check this out. If you haven't been uh, ASE certified, you haven't taken any any of these tests yet, you can go do this. You can uh, start uh, working towards, you know, the master certification or whatever area that you would like to pursue. Um, hopefully from that conversation, uh, you know, you understand why this is a worthwhile endeavor, why it actually makes sense to go out and do this. And uh, if nothing else, you know, get it for yourself, but encourage others, encourage your other technicians you work with, um, or, you know, maybe the shop manager or shop owner where you work uh, to also encourage other people and to advertise it to the public so that they know what to look for, uh, you know, when they're searching out a shop, trying to decide where to get their vehicle repaired. But that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Let's all get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time.